right. Good morning. Well, we have been talking table. We've been at the table now throughout uh, the last several weeks, and we're going to go back to the table today. Um, did you all notice it snowed out there? Did anybody notice that? That was, that was neat, right? Um, we, uh, we, I thought we were just going to get like maybe some flurries in the air, but I'm out there loading my truck the other day at Menards, and I'm just, it's like, I can't even see where I'm going. It's like hitting me from every, so I guess we're there. I don't know, but Ohio can change its mind at any point in time. So we'll see what it looks like tomorrow, but definitely a little colder today, uh, which means the holidays are like in full swing. I mean, we've got Thanksgiving just around the corner. We've got some uh, Christmas coming, and like it'll be here before we know it, but lots of holiday table opportunities coming up, and so um, I, I don't know how much you guys look forward to those things. I tend to like them. You know, it, it's always interesting. You get family together and uh, around the table. It's like, um, it, it, you know, a lot can happen. And uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, as we kind of go into the Thanksgiving season and into, into the holiday season, uh, I just thought it'd be fun to throw out some sort of house party stereotypes. And so these are ones that I just came up with. And uh, I think you'll find these people at most tables uh, over the holidays, especially at the Thanksgiving table. Uh, you'll, you'll find some of these stereotypes. And maybe you're one of them, and it's okay. And I feel like some of you are going to give some elbows out here in just a minute. Uh, but here's, here's kind of the first one that you'll find at the table. You've got the person that just does it all. Like they're, you know, they're in full swing in the kitchen, like, you know, up early in the morning, the preparations. They've got like, you know, they're in, in that oven over and over again. They've got stuff on the stove, stuff in the oven. And, and a lot of times these folks, they, they don't even, they don't want your help. They're just like, just actually it's better if you just stay out of my way. You know, like let me do my thing. This is my domain. Just stay out of the way. And so they're wake, working. They're making it all happen. Yes, that's a beaver on the screen, all right? I'm not going to explain it to you. You can ask somebody to explain it to you if you want, uh, but these are all different animals, okay? Um, so beavers are busy, okay? Just in case you didn't know that, but that's the do-it-aller, all right? We've got uh, right here, you'll find this person for sure at the Thanksgiving, uh, at the Thanksgiving dinner, um, and some of, some of you are working, some of you are, you're out. Like, it doesn't take much at all, but you're just like, and you can sleep through, it's amazing, like, that people can sleep through a party. Like, not just, like, you're not in your bed, like, all cozied up, like, with some melatonin. Like, it's literally, like, you just hit the chair, and we got a little feller at ours, a little feller, an older feller at ours, that he can, he kicks in that recliner, and boom, he's gone. Like, I, I really think he could sleep right from the Thanksgiving meal and hibernate all the way to Christmas dinner. Like, he's just, and there's stuff going on around him, but he's, like, un phased by this. And some of you are in this category. Some of you do that and add a little snoring in. You know, it's, it's a whole deal. So you got the hibernator. I'm sure they'll be there. Um, you've got the, the next one, which is the instigator. There is one at every, and some of you are this person. You know, like it's not, because this is different than sort of the person that's socially awkward that tells the joke that they shouldn't tell. You know, the table, that person's there too. But this is the person that they're very aware of the fact that they're making people uncomfortable, and they like that. Like, they, they thrive on, they dive right into the political deep end. Like, let's talk, they got the topics, right? Like, you know the topics that are going to get everybody riled up, and so they're, like, they'll bring up the political conversation, you know, the religion conversation, you know. So if this is you, there's some topics that you certainly uh, could bring to the dinner table. I won't lay those out for you. You already know what they are. You know what makes people uncomfortable, and you look forward to that. And so um, the, the instigator is there, and some of you are on the other side. This is 
the, the person that the instigator comes for, and they're not, I don't have a picture of this person, I was just thinking, of, but, but you're like the target of the instigator because they know they can get you riled up. And so just so you know, be, be prepared. The instigator is going to be at the table for sure. Um, and then what, this, this one, next one's me for sure. Like the great, you know, you know who you are. You're, you're like, you're near the kitchen, but not because you're at all involved in what's happening in the kitchen. Other than, hey, what just came out? You know, let, let's just get a little, let me just get a little, you know, a little preview of what just came out. And we always have like a meat and cheese spread out ahead of dinner. And like, I, I am just like a sucker for meats and cheeses. Like, that's like my two. So I'm like getting filled up on meat and cheese. And then I'll, I'll, occasionally I'll, I'll walk away and I'll be like, okay, I'm purposely removing myself. And then all of a sudden, I just like am drawn back to the meats and cheeses again. And I'm like, so this is the grazer, right? They're, they're just eating all of the things prior to the meal. And then you got the person, they're at every single Thanksgiving, and you know who you are. The better late than never. You know, you, you're the one that we're all waiting on to eat, like every time. And everybody's got one in their family. They're like, we're waiting on so-and-so, right? Like the rest of us are waiting. We're hungry, and we always got to wait for that person. And so just... For the rest of us, could you just get there on time this year? Could you please just do that? And uh, that would be great. But they always like thought it started, no, it started at noon. We said noon, okay? Not 1 p.m., not 12.30, all right? We wanted to eat at noon, and you're late, and the rest of us are hungry, all right? It's a little personal for me, all right? Just, just hear me out. Okay, uh, so those are just a few fun ones. And today what we're going to do as we go back to the table is we're going to talk about a few characters that were not just characters, but real life individuals that we're going to attach a couple stereotypes to uh, that were at a meal uh, in which Jesus was present. In fact, they were the ones hosting this meal. And you've potentially heard this story before, but there's these two sisters that basically have two different approaches to when Jesus came to dinner. Now, can you imagine this, first of all, just like Jesus coming to dinner? Like Jesus is coming to your house, you know? Can you imagine, like, what would that look like for you? I know what it would look like at my house, like if Jesus was coming dinner tonight. Like, I'm going to be busy this afternoon, right? Like, there's a lot that needs to happen. There's a lot of preparations to be had. And so there was a lot of this buzz sort of happening as Jesus came. And uh, I want to read this story to you. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me, and we can look at it together. And it's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. So here's what happened the day that Jesus came to dinner for two individuals named Martha and Mary. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. All right, so you have these two sisters uh, that live together. Jesus is coming to town, um, and he's going to be stopping through to have dinner with you. And it's really, it's really kind of, there's a lot more to this story than you would even think. As I kind of let this story sort of bounce around in my head this week, I was like, okay, it seems very surfacey, simple, you know, kind of be Mary, don't be Martha, right? Like, it seems that simple, right? And if we could just, if I could give you the simple, simple answer, just like, all right, folks, go be Mary, you know? Go be Mary, not Martha. 
But that's a lot easier said than done. So here are the two um, comparisons that I think we can make here. Uh, so Mary, I, I gave her the sort of stereotype of the devoted. Mary was the devoted. In fact, actually, I, I, I almost changed this. Like this morning, I was in here, I was like, I almost changed the word, and I didn't because my slides were already in. So I just left it. But what I was thinking was, Mary wasn't just devoted, she was defiant. And I want to explain this to you just in a minute. I, I could have called her Mary the defiant. She was actually both of those things. She was devoted and defiant. And what we read is, there's just a, a, a simple little piece here that we can capture about what Mary was focused on at that dinner. And so the disciples were on their way. He came to the village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, and her sister Mary was there, and she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said. Well, we, we see the devoted part, but what about the defiant part? Well, I don't think that Mary was just oblivious to everything that was happening. She knew the stakes of this. By the way, it was more than just a little dinner party. Like we're talking like Jesus was rolling with 72 people, right? And he's stopping through town. And in all likelihood, there was like 100 people at their house. Now, now if Jesus is coming to your house and he's got 100 people, now how are you feeling? You know? Like we got to get, there are some things to be done. But Mary was devoted by being defiant. She was devoted to Jesus by being defiant to the social norms of the day, the endless expectation of others, because by the way, it wasn't just her sister that was giving her glances, I can tell you that, right? Everybody's expectation would have been that she would have been in the kitchen with her sister, she would have been helping, and so she was not oblivious to this, there's no way she was, but she was purposefully defiant to the social norms. She was purposely defiant to the expectations of the day. She was purposely defiant to the pace at which things normally went. And instead of playing into all of that, she sat at the feet of Jesus, deliberately, consciously. She sat at the feet of Jesus. Despite the pressures that were all around her, she sat at the feet of Jesus. And we've already talked, but just to give you some more perspective here, the cultural norm and practices and priorities of the day were that in the Near East at that time, hospitality was high on the priority list. I mean, you think it's high on the priority list now, like this was a big deal. The last thing you would ever want to do is to throw a bad party and dishonor your guests. That would be the most dishonorable thing you could do is to throw a bad party it was a reflection on you personally if you threw a bad party. And so you would do everything in your power to make sure this party went well. Especially if you had a guest like Jesus coming, who was the most important person in your nation's history and in human history at that. Yet Mary makes a conscious decision to be defiant to all of that pressure and to sit at the feet of Jesus. There was work to be done, there was expectations, there was a pace that was operating in and around her, but she defies the surrounding pressure in pursuit of something more important. And she defied the social pressure in a lot of different ways in the cultural norm. Number one, when 
by the way, what this meant was this phrase to sit at the feet of Jesus. This was a, a Jewish concept. And really what it was was it described a rabbi and then somebody sitting at the rabbi's feet. And what they were doing was they were trying to emulate that rabbi. They were trying to learn from that rabbi. They were taking a specific posture, an intentional posture, to receive from that rabbi. And number one, the first way that she really defied that cultural norm of the day was that women typically weren't invited to sit at the seat, sit at the feet of the rabbis. There was no other rabbis that were saying, hey, come sit at my feet to a woman. And here she was, and it says just as much about Jesus as it does about her. Jesus invited her to sit at his feet, and she accepted that invitation. And then all of just the other pressure that we can imagine, she defies that pressure as well, and she sat at the feet of Jesus. She soaked in the moment with him. There was nowhere else that she would rather be. She was right where she needed to be. The other to-dos faded in comparison with the thing that needed to be done, which is her sitting and receiving from the rabbi, Jesus. Because she wanted to emulate him. She wanted to walk with him. She wanted to receive and hear and hang on every single word that he had to say. This was a special moment where Jesus was in their home, and she wasn't going to miss any of that. So this idea of sitting at someone's feet, sitting at the feet of a rabbi, was really where we got... We get our concept of discipleship today, sitting at the feet of the rabbi, walking in their footsteps, serving by their side. This is what you would do. These were marks of discipleship. The truth is then, and it is today, what my, Bobby, my friend Bobby Harrington likes to say is that everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. So let me put it this way. It isn't a matter of if we will sit at someone's feet. The question is, at, at whose feet or at what feet will we sit? At a commencement address at Kenyon College, a so, social commentary uh, by uh, a social uh, commentator named David Foster Wallace, he really had no theological agenda, he, he spoke to this idea when he said this at, at this commencement address. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that anything else will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your meaning in life, then you will never have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. You worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And then he goes on to say this, the insidious thing is about these forms of worship is that they're not evil or sinful. It is that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. You will sit somewhere. You will sit 
at someone or something's feet. The question is, where will you sit? And we all worship something. And the pressure to adopt the idols of the surrounding culture, the idols of our day, they're not nothing. I mean, the pressure is enormous. And if we want to be devoted to Jesus, we've got to be defiant to the pressure of the day, the norms of the day, the expectations of others. And first and foremost, we have to desire to just sit at the feet of Jesus, to frequent the feet of Jesus. And as Mary would have discovered that those who frequent the feet of Jesus, what they find is that their love for God is kindled. They find that the the fullness of truth is manifested before them. They They discover their true and transcendent purpose. They are drawn to repentance and reorientation. They are formed and reformed into the likeness of their Savior. They discover that they are truly made whole and that they get to walk into the deep end of the life that is truly life. And I had a thought as I was thinking about this. It's no small thing to also consider where we are leading others. Are we leading others to the feet of Jesus? Are we leading others somewhere else, including our families and those around us? James Smith captures it this way. He says, you can't not love. So the question isn't whether you will love something as ultimate. The question is what you will love as ultimate. And you are what you love. There's a lyric that's been swimming around my head this week, probably because my kids find a song they like and they play it over and over again. Uh, But it's a song by Need to Breathe called I Am Yours. And the lyric goes like this. I am yours and you will always be mine. I am a man whose one ambition is to dance with my divine. And so we have to make that our ultimate ambition. We have to allow God to stir that up in us to say, there's nowhere I'd rather be than sit at the feet of Jesus. And we frequent the feet of Jesus. And then from there, we're able to move out and to do the work of Jesus with him. But we can't skip that step. Let's talk about Martha for a minute. And I originally called Martha the hostess with the mostest, but we'll just take this word from uh, the text, which says that, that she was distracted. I don't know anything about that, right? I don't know anything about being distracted. I'm never distracted. You can ask my wife, I promise. And none of us know anything about that. It says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to the Lord and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. There's a lot, I think, that we could pull out of what's happening, the dynamic that's happening here. Again, before we pick on Martha, we always pick on Martha in this story, right? We're always like, come on, Martha. What are you doing? Like, Jesus is at your house. Why aren't you sitting with him? You know, come on, right? But if we're honest, a lot of us really relate to Martha. A lot of us are kind of like feeling Martha. We're like, yeah, don't, come on, Mary. Like, can't you get up for a second? Like, there's a lot happening in the house. We've got hundreds of people. they got to eat. Like, let's go, you know? You've had a nice conversation with Jesus. Now let's go, you know? We kind of, we can relate to that. And so she's preparing. She's running to and fro. Her sister's just sitting there. And you have to understand, because you've been there too, right? Where you're the one that's just trying to make it all happen. And, like, you're getting madder and madder. And how many times Mary's just, like, looking over at Martha, like, do you see what's happening? Like, are you going to get up? Like, okay, I'm going to keep working, you know. And she's just getting madder and madder, more and more frustrated because you know that's how she's feeling inside. And then finally, like, she's just like, enough is enough. And she finally speaks up. But interestingly, she does not address her sister. 
does she? Well, why not? At this moment, she's distracted, she's stressed, she's now clearly frustrated, but she's not just frustrated with her sister. She's frustrated with the Lord. And when she calls out, there's this hint of, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? I feel like there's just this slight tone of, Lord, don't you see that all that I'm doing for you? Can't you see all that I'm trying to do for you? I'm working my tail off here for you. Do you even notice that? Do you even see that? And so there's this tone about her where she has this frustration, but it's not just directed at her sister. It's directed at the Lord. Lord, don't you care? And I think that sometimes we can get there too. They're like, man, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I'm making all the right decisions. I'm trying to follow Jesus as best I can. And it becomes this to-do list of all of these things, you know. I did my devotional every day this week. I'm doing all these things. And here I am, and I feel like, 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 God, do you see all that I'm doing here? And I think that we can get to this place where we, too, can get frustrated. Because in all of our doing, we're like, okay, what do we have to show for all of this? And it can be frustrating. And I have to read the tone here. I, when Jesus responds, and, and I might be wrong about this, but I have to read Jesus' tone here, not necessarily as just scorning Martha, because it's not like what she's doing, again, is bad. These are good things. We've got to eat today, right? I mean, there, there's things to be done. The home has to be prepared. And so I don't, I don't take Jesus' response as scornful. I take it as a gentle reminder. I take it as a gentle recorrection. And here's what Jesus has to say. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. It's as as if Jesus is saying, like, who told you you had to do all that stuff for me? And I think that some of that same message needs to be sent to some of us because we sort of just got in this go mode for the Lord with all the best intentions and we forgot to slow down and actually just meet with him and be with him. And if we had, he would have said, listen, like, you don't have to earn my affection. You don't have to do all of this for me. You're upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. So he gives this gracious redirection. Yes, you're doing a lot for me, but more than anything else, I just want you to be with me. And I think there's something else subtle here that most people probably didn't notice that we're at that party because they would have, Martha would have been the hero at the party, right? Like for everybody else, like, but I think Jesus saw something else really subtle here. Is it possible that she wasn't doing it for Jesus? Is it possible that maybe Martha wasn't doing it for Jesus, or maybe she wasn't just doing it for Jesus? If she was really honest about it, maybe what Jesus discerned is that Martha was actually doing it a little bit more for Martha. For that part of Martha that got something out of pleasing others, I know that's none of us here. None of us like to please others. That's why Spurgeon says this of the story. He says that a sitting silently at the feet of Jesus is of more worth than all the clatter of Martha's dishes. And so she missed the main thing. Because even more than God wants our help, he just 
wants our heart. And work that doesn't flow from worship, it ends up empty or even self-serving. It will inevitably lead us where it led Martha, distracted, stressed, worried, frustrated. So here's the challenge. Before we serve at his side, may we first sit at his feet. And then our work will actually flow out of worship. It won't be something we do begrudgingly, but something we do cheerfully. Something we do because we just love the Lord so much that we're just like, where, I want to I be at your feet, and then wherever you go, I want to go. I want to be at your side. I want to walk with you. I want to go where you go. And then it's out of worship that our work will flow. I love what the little prince said. He said, if you want to build a ship, he counsels, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You see, if we first long for the endless immensity of the sea, you don't got to motivate me to build the boat. I just got to get out there. And the same is true for Jesus. If we first long for the endless immensity of his love and want to live in light of that love and dive into the deep end of his love, it won't be that hard to convince us that we want to go out and love others and be a part of what he's doing in his kingdom. And I think some of us might need reminded today that you're doing many things, but only one thing is necessary. Don't lose track of that one thing among the many things. So we see Mary, we see Martha, and that leaves all of us with a choice. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? Because I think there's really three different options in line with this story. And I love what it says here. It says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Because some of us think maybe, well, I, I don't have a choice, at least not now. Like this, you knew this season of my life that I'm in right now? There's no margin for that. No margin to sit at Jesus' feet. I don't have a margin to serve. I don't, there's no more margin for me in this season of my life. And so some of you feel like, no, I don't have a choice. We do have the choice. We have a choice to be defiant in order to be devoted to Jesus. And Mary chose what is better, and we have a choice too. And I just was thinking about this as I was reading through this, that what if some of our greatest choices were not one of right versus wrong, or good versus evil, and I think those things are important. But what if the majority of our choices, and maybe even some of our greatest choices, were really a choice between good versus better? Because none of those things that Martha were, was doing were wrong, but Mary chose what is better. So are we willing to really discern and allow the Spirit of God to help us to discern how to choose what is better? And I think that this is a harder distinction. It's a less clear choice. But we have the choice. She chose to defy the need to do and simply to be. She chose to ignore the pressure to perform and be present with Jesus. This is what Mary did. And I think there's really three types of people in this story, three types of people really that say they follow Jesus. And the first is those who serve Jesus with their hands, but they forget to give him their heart. 
So it becomes more about the doing. It becomes more about the checklist. It ends up being kind of a, a religious striving at the end of the day. And I think a lot of us can fall into this category where it becomes just so much about all that we're doing for God, all that we're doing for God. And so there's those like Martha that I think need to just be drawn back to the feet of Jesus. Then there are those that sit at the feet of Jesus and then serve at the side of Jesus. And that is really the call out of this story. How do we get there? I do think there's a third implication here by this story, and that is that there's those that say they follow Jesus that really don't do either of those things. They don't sit at his feet, and they don't serve at his side. And this is not to shame anyone. It's just a matter of, man, we can switch positions at any point in time. At any point in time, we can walk back to the feet of Jesus and fall at the feet of Jesus and allow God to rekindle our love for Jesus in a way that then inspires us to live as his servants. As we close here, I'm going to have Hannah come up, and I just want you to think about if you're really honest, where, where are you at in that story? And I think that all of us maybe can shift from category to category, but where do you find yourself today? And how do you get back to this place where you are free, frequenting the feet of Jesus? I got this past week, it was, it was an interesting week, uh, a lot going on. Um, we're, was at a couple funerals, including uh, my grandfather's, which was on Friday. Um, but the week started out, I got to spend some time with um, some folks that have been coming to our church, and um, just because they're so humble, they probably wouldn't want me to stand up here and tell their story, but I, I got to spend just a good amount of my Monday um, with two powerhouse leaders that have now started coming to Axis, and uh, you wouldn't know it because they're so humble, but a bunch of folks that knew them um, prior to them moving up here had come uh, just to spend time with them and each one of those individuals who were sitting around the conference room just sharing their story of how these two people changed the course of their life in such a simple kind of a way simply because they were the kind of people that were just simple servants of Jesus, didn't need the credit, but frequent in the feet of Jesus and served at his side. And so I, I was just enjoying that entire day and they kept saying to me, oh, we've taken too much of your time, we've taken too much of your time. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, there's nowhere I'd rather be than just learning from you guys and spending time with you guys. And so I kind of started the week that way. And then um, on Friday, we had uh, my grandfather's funeral. And um, I was just reminded of uh, just how much I'm inspired by my grandmother. Because um, for just a good amount of the last decade, she has been, um, my, my grandpa's health has declined for a long time. And um, I mean, to where he's been just primarily bedridden. I mean, over the years, she's had to, like, basically deadlift this man that's three times her size and, like, take care of him in the home. And she's never, like, complained about that. In fact, to her, this has been, like, the greatest joy she could possibly have was caring for her husband who she loved. And um, she, I would always ask her, like, Grandma, how can I pray for you? And her prayer was very simple. It was that I can continue to care for, for him in our home. Like, give me the strength to do that. And uh, the Lord answered that prayer. She got to do that. And so I'm inspired by her story and, and how she frequented in the feet of Jesus. And, and it led her to be just this daily servant that didn't ask for much but just got to, to serve humbly. And I, just, I say that to say 
I'm not there yet, but I continue to aspire to be like people like that and to learn from people like that that they, they just they love the Lord and they want to serve the Lord. And uh, it really is that, that simple. We all have that choice. And you might think, like, well, I mean, I'm a long way off of that. Just get started. Start small. It's simple. Start small. Fall down at the feet of Jesus and encourage the Spirit to just rekindle your love for him. Start there and then just follow him wherever he goes. Do the things that he's asking you day by day. May we be the people, the kind of people that defy the expectations of others, try to endlessly live up to what they would have for us, that we continue to choose to defy the cultural norms and the pace of the world and and all the many things that are going on. My prayer is that we would not lose sight of the one thing, Jesus. In a world full of all kinds of options, activities, you name it, may we choose what is better. May we choose Jesus. God, we come to you now in prayer as those humbled, as those in need of your grace, each and every one of us. We mess up, we we get focused on the wrong things, we get all hung up on the many things that we're supposed to be doing and being and God, I pray that in these moments that you would just breathe life into us and that you would just speak gently to our spirit to just remind us that that all might be well and good, but there's really only one thing that matters. And God, I think about the scripture that says that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. And so God, I just pray that as your children, God, that for some of us, we could run back and just fall at your feet once more. For some of us, we've just gotten so busy, we've lost sight of things, and we've lost sight of you. God, I pray that you would draw us back to yourself, God, knowing that we'll be welcomed with open arms. And God, then inspire our hearts to lead like you lead, to love like you love, and to live out each day just walking by your side. There's no better way to live. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his unconditional love. We pray in his name. Amen. Stand together and end this out.